This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Today, my guest is Penn Patumsimchai from the University of Hawaii. Penn wrote Armchair Detectives and the Social Construction of Falsehoods, an Actor Network Approach in Information, Communication, and Society. Our discussion was recorded on November 4th, 2019. We are here talking with Penn Patumsimchai. Uh, from the University of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Penn is a media scholar, as well as a fellow podcaster. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but I want to foreground your scholastic work. Oh, thank you. First, Yeah, for sure. Uh, We were talking about her work on online mass responses to emergencies and tragedies and how it fits in with, you know, that whole notion that open societies produce that sunlight cleanse truth. Right. You know. (laughs) (laughs) We're better for it. Yeah. So Penn's written about uh, the topic in Information, Communication, and Society. Last year, she published Armchair Detectives and the Social Construction of Falsehoods, an actor network approach. It's a great topic. I enjoyed your paper. I uh, you. love your podcast. It's a pleasure to have <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, thank you. All right. Well, let's start off. You want to start off by outlining the paper, its major sure. points and what you were studying. Okay, yeah. I had to actually reread my paper because I was like, oh, I published this a year ago. (laughs) And then I wrote the dissertation the year before. But this is basically a chapter of my larger dissertation um, where I look at basically two case studies of the 2013 Boston bombing and the 2015 Bangkok bombing. The latter probably um, not as many people know about, but they were both very similar, like huge tragedies that occurred in Boston and in Bangkok where these bombs went off based, you know, some sort of terroristic motivation that at the time we didn't really understand, obviously very shocking and many people died. And it spurred this online investigation into the bombings by, you know, everyday internet users trying to find who's the, who, who the bombers were, you know, a lot of anger, lots of emotions, lots of feelings of injustice and wanting to bring justice to the bombers. And so people would take to the internet, you know, like in the Boston bombing, they went to Reddit and Facebook and Twitter. And in Thailand, they also went to uh, Facebook and Twitter, but they also use this other kind of Reddit equivalent in Thailand called Pantip. Mm. It's this other like kind of online discussion board. And even though they're both based in very different um, cultural contexts, you know, between Boston and Bangkok, they actually had very similar trajectories where they had all this information and had all this news, you know, and it was like an ongoing investigation by the police and by the media and then by the internet um, users. And then all this misinformation and kind of wrong accusations against innocent people um, and like doxing and ruining people's lives in the process. And then just moving on like it was nothing. And then (laughs) they were wrong. Like the internet community was wrong in the first place. So I use this as a, these two case studies as a model to understand how collective intelligence, this idea that we can all come together and contribute to something like Wikipedia and get at the better truth, that that's where collective intelligence fails. So I I was basically looking at failures of collective intelligence. And in the larger dissertation, I tested um, this model that I created from the two case studies against other um, mob justice cases as well, basically to find out how does collective intelligence fail, how misinformation um, spreads through this kind of network of interactions between um, the internet and the mass media and then the police or like any, any investigative authority. 
I like that framing, like the Wikipedia model at Society yeah. Path of the Truth, that's, right? That's really <laughs> lauded as the inspiration for con- collective intelligence and as proof that collective intelligence works. But as we yeah. know, Wikipedia is incredibly political and biased in its own way. Yeah. And it's a good <laughs> starting point. But even now in, in academia, we don't really allow students to cite from it because we're just like, who knows who contributed to that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. We were saying this earlier uh, before the show. Yeah. It's funny how in 2017, this collective model of intelligence felt more like something that had to be taken on, whereas now it feels like it's so totally yeah, shattered. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like when I was writing the dissertation, and this, this is part of the, I guess, the dissertation process that I didn't understand until I was doing it, was that yeah. you have to role with whatever's going on in society at that time and so yeah while literally while i was writing the final draft in december of 2016 it was when i was yeah. trying to submit my first draft trump was going through the process of getting elected and i yeah. had to add a whole new chapter to my dissertation on the nature of truth just because of all the stuff that he was doing on <laughs> alternative facts and you know yeah. Yeah, like this and all the lies that he was telling that was being taken as truth. And I realized like, wow, my dissertation has much larger implications than like crazy internet people <laughs> than I thought of. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had no idea where it was going to go after that, after Trump did get elected, what would happen to the nature of truth, what would happen in the internet, what would happen to facts, quote unquote facts, to the internet, on the internet and in society in general during Trump's presidency. And that was something that my dissertation couldn't, couldn't address at the yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also one of those things. Well, first of all, there's the framing of a particular paper and, you mm-hmm. know, you get an empirical object and you want, you develop the, uh, such rich knowledge and you can only submit a slice of that knowledge <laughs> yeah. in a paper. So you right. try to anticipate what people are going to be interested in, of mm-hmm. you know, the many facets of the phenomenon you did. I guess now today you could rewrite that paper as a paper in, in, in mob behavior, like internet mobs. Yeah, I mean, that was like the larger dissertation angle that I took, but like the full dissertation title was still like, yeah, armchair detectives and the social construction yeah. of falsehood, but um, emergent mob behavior on the internet. Yeah. So like kind of the second big empirical finding that I provided was this model of mob justice, where you Mm. could see all the different mechanisms that occur within a case. And this is what I this is something I derived from the case studies and tested against other um, four or five other mob justice cases. And you can see like, oh, this is the turning point for this case where suddenly it becomes mob behavior. But even now, like I may have to revisit that because the Internet is so different now that I don't, I'm right. not sure if it's valid anymore. It's valid for past cases, but yeah. Yeah, well, good. That's that's a bunch of papers to write, basically. <laughs> no, but like, how do mobs work? How do internet mobs work? So one of the the key factors to any sort of mob behavior is speed. And this is something that um, I don't address fully in the paper, but mm-hmm. the timeline of these cases, it's like it's like one week. You know, where they find uh, yeah. like, okay, we're going to accuse this guy. Nope, he's not the guy. We'll accuse this guy the next day. Well, nope, not this guy. Oh, there's more information, more surveillance video and footage from this FBI or CIA or whatever. Oh, okay, let's change our, our focus a little bit. Okay, we found this guy. Oh, no, no, no. And it's just yeah. like all within like four days that this occurred. And then fine, because the, the FBI is also moving at a very fast pace. I mean, no one wants yeah. to take spend a month finding bombers because they'll just leave the country right. at that point, right? So. Right the case was wrapped up within a week and just within those seven days, you know, and every minute counted 
you know, yeah. Reddit probably accused like six or seven different innocent people, <laughs> you know, that, that made it to I my mean, analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's the speed. So the speed is really important. Yeah. Um, so the urgency, the urgency is very important. That's not something that can be captured very well, you know, in like a paper. I have a question. So like when I'm on Facebook or Twitter, sometimes I get ads for like home mystery games where like they <laughs> send you like some clues and you got to write in the mail. Yeah. Is that what people are doing? Basically, it's just like a recreational sort of thing. I just... think so. But, you know, huh. it's it's not really our fault in that sense, because the media, like the type of TV shows and movies that become popular now, you know, are all like investigative um, reporting yeah. or detective work you know like yeah. law and order is your your greatest go-to and then all the csis and all the you know true detectives these are all like tv shows that are become so popular and we mm -hmm. we you know sit and watch and be like okay i think it's that guy i think it's that guy you know just like your average whodunit you know like clue um mystery so i think we've always had that you know inclination to be the one to solve it right and the internet is a good place for that where do these people get their primary material? Like what information streams are feeding these mobs? Is it blogs? Is it TV? What is it? Right. So, I mean, for some, a place like Reddit, for example, they do turn to mainstream media, but they tend to not like mainstream, like nationwide media sources like CNN or uh, Fox News or something like that. But they, they really like local news pieces. So like in the Boston bombing, they were turning to local Boston news more often than, you know, CNN or whatever, because they, they didn't like it. They thought it was bad news. Um, but then they also would have like police scanners that they would be listening to and trying to listen to like the, the not unreported stuff that the police was saying. Mm -hmm. So that became another news source. And then, of course, any sort of news or press release done by the FBI themselves or any sort of the CIA or whatever organization that they would take seriously. Yeah. With the police scanners, was it offline or was somebody streaming police scanners? Like what's going on I with that? I think you could stream it. Um, I never listened to it, but I think there were ways that people were listening to it and then were posting you know, like discussions by the, you know, like unofficial discussions by the police and and using that as news. Hmm. Was, was there any fruitful, did these communities ever produce any fruitful, materially helpful information or? Yeah. So one of the best things that Reddit did, and, and the same thing goes for the Thai community that they did, was create like a timeline of events because they were so meticulous yeah they were so on top and meticulous of all the different news pieces and basically reddit became the news source for everybody to be like okay well i'm not going to follow cnn and cnbc and fox news you know and get all these different pieces i'm just going to go to reddit because they've already like collated and, co and like put everything together into this neat timeline like 11 4 a.m this happened and 11 10 11 10 a.m this happened so and they would link back to the the news article or whatever news source mm. that they got too so you know they had like they were really good at organizing information mm -hmm. The problem was just when they would try to use that information to conduct their own investigation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like try to try to just go close the case on what they have. Only. Yeah. And there's that sense of competition, right, where they want to beat mm -hmm. the FBI or I mean, they, they want to help the FBI, too, but also like beat CNN and, you know, and to mm -hmm. the punch of like, oh, we named it first. We named the the, the bomber first. Were these people sensible or did you get a sense that there was something wrong or? Uh, they, you know, they were very sensible. Like this was something that when I was going through the analysis, you know, and I collected like thousands and thousands of 
Reddit comments and Facebook and Twitter comments and analyze that they were just very angry and they were very sad. You know, like the, like an eight year old boy died um, from, uh-huh. during the Boston bombing. And so lots of parents were coming in being like, I can't imagine if my child, you know, was bombed to death. Like, that's insane. Right. And so there was just so much anger. And so the, the emotions and I, I talk about like the sociology of emotions too, like definitely played a role into people's desire for justice and uh-huh. some and for like in Thailand, for example, the police is such a corrupted institution that there was no trust that the police would actually find the bad guys. And so it was like, uh-huh. we have to take into our own hands if we want that justice. So there was a lot of righteousness where people thought they were doing the right thing. And uh-huh. as individuals, right, as individuals, they were all, they would all claim like, I didn't do the mob. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the mobbing. I didn't go out and harass that family or an innocent person. But they were still playing mm. into the investigation, right? And those who did go and harass, they thought that that was a, a form of righteousness, a form of justice, because like maybe you won't get caught, but we know you did it. Mm. So we're just going to go ahead and harass you, you know, and that's your due process. Tell me, what what's like the life cycle of a mob? Like if you were sort of looking at how they develop over time, what are like the stages of internet mob development? Uh, I see. So part of it is the speed that it urges people to come together because a place like Reddit or Pantim, you know, or Facebook, people are already mm-hmm. kind of milling about. And social right. media has become the the source for news for most people. Like most people don't go directly to New York Times or anything. They just read the snippet that shows up on their Facebook feed, right? Right. Um, so there, there's a lot of casual internet users that will find something interesting that happens. And part of my theory on mob justice is that it has to be a large scale enough case for one, or something that that really <laughs> like pisses people off, like some sort of <laughs> act of right. like egregious act against justice. Has to be a strong emotional trigger. Yeah, exactly. Like one of like previous cases, like a woman stomping a kitten to death, and that was just something right. that was just like, no, you cannot, you cannot hurt kittens, you know. And that yeah. led to a whole mob justice. So it has to be like either something, yeah, like something huge or something really, really terrible that would bring people together to, to that level where it would count as, as a mob. And part of being a mob means that no one is, they're not, it's not one-minded. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many, like hundreds of thousands of people who come and visit. And it's just really, in reality, a small group of people who are going about and actually doxing or actually harassing the family interesting you know so they so it's like they're part of this like you would think like oh my god all of reddit is crazy right really it's just like a a small subreddit and a small sub community within the subreddit that's gonna go out and do that but then everybody takes the blame for it so what happens it's basically you're, you're kind of describing a situation where like a cauldron of emotions get ignited and they attract tons and tons of people right as the number of people who are in that cauldron gets bigger and bigger, then it's more likely you're going to have people who are disposed to extreme behavior or damaging behavior. Right. And more likely that misinformation happens. So one of the problems with this kind of collective intelligence, we don't know where speed is of the essence, is that Mm -hmm. people are not up to date. Because it takes a while to get, you know, to get up to date. You're just, you're still reading, you're refreshing, your people are refreshing every second, but it's like, oh my God, I think this guy's the bomber. And it's like, we already, you know, we already dismissed him like two minutes ago, like you're late. And so you'll get people (laughs) who continually bring up old information 
Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you go on a place like Facebook or Reddit, where the algorithm really messes with the order of events. You know, because it's mm-hmm. like the most popular post will get shown first. Right. So people who are just jumping in or people are trying to catch up will see like, oh wait, wait, didn't you just find the guy? It's this one. There's like five thousand likes on it, and it's like, no, 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 we already vetted that guy. He's actually innocent. And now we have we have to go through the whole process again because your interaction with that post has brought that post up again. Right. right. So the algorithm, like the, the community huh. is constantly struggling with the algorithm and trying to find out, you know, what's the most updated news, you know, and how we can go about disengaging with misinformation. But because the community is so large, yeah. that's very difficult to do. And then especially um, this is something that I think my analysis really provided was that the interactions with outside bodies also affected how the internal community was working because if reddit was just functioning on its own yeah it 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 hurt people but it would have stayed within the online community the problem was that mainstream media was also turning to reddit as a news source and like buzzfeed and cnn they were all checking in on reddit because they understood that this was a huge space that people were going to and reddit you know following the police and all that so when the mainstream media reports on misinformation from reddit yeah that blows out that like blows it out of proportion and completely out of control because then it's not within reddit's privy anymore well also is a nice promotion for reddit usage exactly yeah so it depends like if if it was like like the new york post had had um published something on reddit and a new york post is not considered a reliable source so that was seen as like an like an insult to reddit but when like cnn or buzzfeed reports on on reddit that's seen as a form of validation that oh we did it and we're we're the better media like we're the new media basically I'm still having trouble getting my head around who these people are. Like, did you know, or I guess that wasn't part of your data? Or? Yeah, so the, I mean, this is kind of the limitation of the data. and But right. also one of the, the reasons why people turn to social media because of anonymity, right? Especially on mm-hmm. Reddit, you know, your identity doesn't need to be tied to your account. And I had to... I had to de-identify all my information. So I wasn't really keeping up with a lot of the demographics. Yeah. It definitely... Like gen- definitely in general, like communities like Reddit or Pontip, they're male dominated. Uh-huh. Historically, the male like more male users and female users. Although that's starting to change now, as you know, because the internet is changing every day. Uh-huh. And then mostly in their twenties and thirties. I want to shift gears a bit. Yeah. You frame the people with this actor network theory. Can you tell us a little mm. bit about that? So actor network theory is this kind of very materialist approach to understanding how people interact, not just directly to one another, but also through any sort of non-human objects. So within actor network theory, they consider human actants and non-human actants to be kind of of equal status. What's the non-human actant? Like, can you give an example? Like, you and I you and I are talking right now, and it seems like we're talking directly, but we could not communicate if it weren't for a squad cast, if it weren't for our computers right. and our webcams. And those become the non-human actants within our interaction right here. And if one were to give out, like, say my webcam, like, my webcam yesterday broke on my other computer, I couldn't uh-huh. record my podcast. It was just, like, that's it. <laughs> just, like, ruin right. the whole network, you know? So yeah. even though we don't talk about, you know, these non-human objects or we don't really think about them because we take it for granted, they do have their own agency because 
if something goes wrong with them or they don't, you know, if suddenly, suddenly your Wi-Fi dies or whatever, we could not have any sort of interaction. So we are mm. constantly interacting, you know, with other humans, but also through non-human objects. And so part of actor network theory is to look at how we've created our social reality based on these observable interactions between humans and non-humans. So as an example, earlier you talked about how the uh, Facebook or Twitter algorithm right. prioritizes popular things instead of more recent things. Mm -hmm. And that creates sort of a knowledge problem where old information keeps on entering the dialogue and having to be disproved. Yeah. So in, that's, in that case, the algorithm is also an actin. And that's definitely something that has agency. Like, you know, you can downvote yeah. and you can dislike and you can hide, but it's still going to be like, no, but this is the post that a lot of people like. And Facebook doesn't understand right. that this is an investigation <laughs> where, you know, there's all right. the new information. They just understand popular versus unpopular posts. Well, also just more fundamentally, like everything's clickbait. Yeah, and so, exactly. You know, and that has sort of, I guess, you're saying this has like implications on the criminal justice system, the, in mm -hmm. the intensity with which cultural producers try to generate clickbait or sexy headlines or excitement. Right. Yeah, and I, like you can extend this idea further, you know, like into the the whole um, Russia misinformation campaign or mm -hmm. disinformation campaign during the Trump election was that they mm -hmm. were creating all these clickbait things that feed into what people already considered in the realm of possibility. So this was something that actor network theory also discusses: is that well, we have these networks of interactions, and these interactions make up the reality that we understand. But it's not just mm -hmm. like random stuff. It ha has to be within the conditions of possibility. Where, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I mean, I don't like Clinton, and she seems kind of shady. So yeah, maybe she is running like a child sex trafficking Pedophile, ring. In, yeah. yeah, in a pizza parlor in D.C. Yeah. You know, and like that seems crazy, but there it's it's based in some sort of distrust against Clinton, for example, like if you were right. on the other side and you supported Trump, but you didn't like um, Clinton. Um, so a lot of these misinformation campaigns feed into people's kind of existing thoughts or feelings about certain subjects and then just kind of taking it one step further to be like, oh, maybe you know, Obama is also part of this pedophile ring or something like that. Um, right. And if you didn't like him already, it's not insane. Yeah. It's also, you know, there are certain agents who understand sort of the rules that govern the operating system and, and engineer the communication campaigns on purpose. Like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, Russian bots often release the day's stories at like 3 a.m. to be trending as soon as people wake uh, by up, the morning. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's all very interesting. So I guess this is a line of research that could ultimately lead either security people mm -hmm. or people who are interested in, uh, you know, the, the criminal justice system to advocate for different rules on, you know, that Facebook could follow or Twitter could follow and how it communicates information. Is that the type of stuff that you've been thinking of? Or? Yeah, I think so. There, Because there's a lot of policy implications for, you know, how to handle the mob, like while... Mm -hmm making this this kind of open platform for a democratic free speech and thinking and all that, you know, like an right. expression, like we want people to come together and discuss, but we also don't want them to do it to the point where they're hurting people. And so this is the mm -hmm. fine line that Reddit has had to walk, especially after the, the Boston bombing, because it was such a debacle. They shut mm -hmm. down that whole subreddit that was dedicated to the Boston bombing. And then they had to create all these new policies, say, OK, no doxing allowed. You can't post yeah. personal information. You can't, you know, especially without people's consent, you know, and photos and things like that. And 
a lot of people didn't like that because they're like, okay, well now you're just pandering to this like left-wing liberal ideology of, you know, I don't know what, but like just basically right. saying like you're, you're anti-free speech if you're doing that. And so a lot of people left Reddit and went to 4chan or 8chan as these other right. spaces that are not controlled and all these, other, you know, there were a bunch of other like smaller platforms that tried to be the new Reddit as well. But then yeah. in these other platforms, you'll find that, you know, extreme right-wing white supremacist conservative communities this is where they thrive because there is no uh, monitoring or censorship yeah. at all so this is something that like the government and facebook and all these companies have to deal with and you know and, and in, like companies like facebook and twitter they'll say like well it it's not us we're not racist wow. or we're not doxing people even though we're providing the platform for people to do that but what's the onus on the the company that provides the platform versus you know the people and that's something that i think we're still struggling yeah. with the hn case is interesting because it might show sort of the limits of how mob sites can become vulnerable to the mobs themselves i mean after mm, crowdfire yeah. stop decided it was so egregious that they couldn't protect hn from the mob well then hackers became a concern for hn itself so there right. might be some type of limit there you want to talk a little bit about black boxing and feedback loops you think that's still sure. sort of a tractable concept or I think so. yeah like something so like within actor network theory um the idea of black boxing is that there are certain truths that we take for granted mm -hmm. where you know something like the world is round and we don't really need to question that and because that's just seen as truth and or, or scientific fact and you know there's gravity like people can't fly, there's gravity, you know, things like that, where we just take that as fact now. But if you actually look back and try to understand, like, what were the networks of interaction that led to this to become a fact? It's all based on some sort of interaction that we're having, whether it's with scientific research or with scientists or with the Internet or with various news sources or with our teachers who taught us that or with our friends who say that, you know, so you can see that these facts are black boxed. Because it's oh. like, it's, we're just taking it for granted. And we're not looking too deeply anymore into the inner workings of what is gravity. We just accept that it, it's there and it's always affecting us. And that's it. You've reified the idea. Yeah, exactly. And then every day that gravity keeps happening, we're like, yep, gravity's still there. You know, like, you right. know, and if, until one day people start floating in space, then we'll be like, oh, maybe we should question what gravity is. You know, kind right. of a more relevant example would be climate change. And this is something that like, you know, people always say, like, scientists all around the world have agreed that climate change is real. And here are all the facts and here are all the evidence and here are the statistics and all the research. And these are the interactions that are building upon one another to create, to try and create this fact that climate change is real and is happening. But you also have competing networks saying, no, 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 climate change is a hoax. And here are all, yeah. all our, you know, I would say fake, but you know, like here are all our research and all our people and all our pundits saying no climate right. change is a hoax. And then they're, they're competing now. So yeah. within uh, a mob, the, like in my studies shown, they base a lot of their accusations, you know, against innocent people on some sort of black boxed um, ideology or idea yeah. about reality. So something like in Thailand, it was very clear from the very beginning that, you know, this shrine was bombed at this major intersection in Bangkok, that there's no way a Thai person could have done it because Thai no. people don't hurt each other. Right. Thai people aren't violent against each other ever, apparently. Right, right. Uh, that's the belief, right? Yeah, that's the belief that Thai people could never right. hurt each other. And that Thai people, all Thai people, all true Thais, quote unquote, true Thais, must also be Buddhists. And Buddhists cannot, would never desecrate a kind of a holy site of worship. Right. And then what, you get confirmation bias? 
yeah, it, it gets to like to be like that, where it's like, oh, yeah, the, well, first of all, Thai people can't hurt each other. And then you get all these people who post online, be like, yeah, Thai people are so nice. We all love each other. We all have kindness in our hearts and we could never hurt each other. And yeah, Thai people, and all these Buddhist, you know, in, individuals will be like, no, there was no way I would ever bomb a, a shrine. There was no way I would ever bomb any sort of place of religious worship. And so the, these two, quote unquote, facts, right, became you know, the black box ideas within the investigation. And so the Thai investigation online basically looked for a bunch of foreigners to point fingers at and be like, okay, well, if we know that this is fact, that Thai people can't hurt each other and Thai people would never bomb a shrine because they're all Thai people are Buddhists. Therefore, the bomber must be a foreigner. And so a bunch of foreigners who just happened to be living in Thailand at the time, you know, were accused of being the bomber. And then this also was further reified by the police because they said that the they released a sketch of the suspect and the suspect was described as um, having a Middle Eastern descent. Right. And so that further black boxed that. And then, of course, eventually they did arrest a guy for the bombing. The person was not Thai, but a Uyghur. And so, so that further black boxed this idea that, oh, yeah, there's no way Thai people would ever hurt right. each other or bomb a shrine. Right. And if there was ever going to be another case again of something like this, this would come up again, being like, "Oh yeah, yeah you can't be a Thai person." Okay. Just a little, yeah. with a, a little bit firmer a belief this time. Yeah, exactly. Because now we have proof that in this one case, it wasn't a Thai person. The weaker guy. Yeah. The N of one that right. non-scientists have exactly. difficulty with. Tell us about feedback loops. What about feedback loops? So the feedback loop is another type of network that I discovered. And it was very prominent in the Boston bombing, where basically, instead of this kind of um, state, because the goal of any network, uh, according to actor network theory, is to stabilize and maybe become black box. You know, it's to stabilize, be like, okay, we all accept now, right? That gravity is is real. So, okay, we're just ending that conversation. (laughs) So that's the kind of the end goal of all these networks. For a feedback loop network, basically, instead of being spread out across these various institutions, it's feeding into itself. So one of the the biggest misinformation that came out of Reddit was that, I think it was a Boston University student, Sunil Tripathi, um, was the bomber because he had been missing and his family was being weird and shady and all these, I don't know, I discourse about how he was un- mentally unstable and maybe he was being indoctrinated into this kind of terroristic you know motive and decided to bomb Boston. And so he was accused and they there was this weird part in in the trajectory of the case where they thought that they heard his name being said on the police scanner. Oh, and okay. <laughs> and this was seen as proof from the directly from the police basically seen as official evidence from the police that Sunil Tripathi was the Boston bomber. Now, no one can actually produce a soundbite, like, because for as many people who said they heard it, there was just as many people said, I didn't hear it. So they're like, like, who knows? Like, we actually don't know. It's like the Muslims who are said to be celebrating 9-11 that nobody has any. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Man, as many people who believed it because it, you know it's in line with all these ideas that yeah middle eastern looking people are terrorists yeah. there are many people who are just like what i don't i was listening to police scan i didn't hear it but that alone yeah. was enough for reddit to say yes Suno Chapati is the bomber here's because we heard it on the police scanner even though we can't produce a soundbite and yeah. the mainstream media started reporting on it so like buzzfeed started ret- started tweeting that cnn started tweeting that like all these individual journalists started tweeting that anonymous the hacktivist collective started tweeting yeah, that yeah. 
Paris Hilton tweeted that. Um, not the celebrity, the celebrity reporter. Yeah, yeah, Perez. Yeah, Perez, yeah. So millions and millions of people began to see this information coming out of Reddit that, oh, Sonal Chapati mm. is the Boston bomber. And that was right. seen as the ultimate validation for the Reddit community that they had won, quote unquote, won. And they were celebrating, they were like pat, patting each other on the back, they were super happy. And of course, that lasted like less than a day because right. later that night, the police right, or the FBI had a shootout with the actual bombers in Watertown, uh, Massachusetts. And it was actually the the Sarnev brothers um, that they were actually the the Boston right. bombers, not Suna Tripathi. So that's when there was so there was this feedback loop that that Reddit saw, oh my God, CNN is also saying it's Suno Chapati. So we must be right. And then CNN is like, oh no, Reddit is saying that's Suno Chapati. So we must be, you know? So it was like, they thought that, like Reddit thought that the police and the mainstream media and all these, you know, individual journalists and, you know, on anonymous were creating this, they thought the network was spreading out and stabilizing because they were getting all this validation from all these different um, bodies, all these oh. different actants. But actually, it was just a feedback loop because it was just feeding into itself that one person said the wrong thing and everyone was just retweeting the wrong thing. Like they were validating their own test. Type yeah, of their own exactly, test. exactly. And then, of course, when it was found that the Sarnoff brothers were the Boston bombers, then that's when the, the network collapses. And then they realize, right. you know, it was just like a house of cards that our information or our, our version of our truth was based on and that actually we were completely wrong. And then Sunil Chapathi was actually found dead um, like uh, three, four days later, he had supposedly committed suicide unrelated oh, to, no. the, to the case. So wow. that's why he was missing was because he had um, committed suicide. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I wonder, do you think that this is one of those cases where sort of the technology runs ahead of society and we are slower to adapt? I definitely, yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think in the future? Like when we sort of, what do you think, what changes would, would be required to sort of control these impulses towards, mm. you know, mad, mob justice and online panic and things like that? Right. That, I mean, if I can answer that question, I would be a billionaire <laughs> probably, <laughs> you know, because this is something that all the, the tech companies are trying to understand is like, how do we allow people to engage, but in kind of a controlled or civilized way where they're not bullying or harassing or doxing each other yeah. as we go along you're, you're asking like what where, where's our future like where are we going yeah like what are they what are they working on what's the prevailing do you, do you know what sort of the prevailing idea is among the in that community I, yeah so like i think a lot of it you know how we were talking about where people aren't really taking the like internet seriously anymore i think that's where yeah. it's it's come to where we've seen so many failures of collective intelligence for example that's happening mm. that has occurred that we don't trust anything anymore we it's yeah. like it's just led to us as individuals kind of this form of apathy where it's like i like i know i read it or i saw some meme on it but i don't know if it's real and there's always that right. there, now we're now we're starting to distrust and become suspicious of more things which i think Culture can be skepticism yeah. yeah which i think can be good because it, it it's basically saying like hey you know don't just believe it because cnn reported it yeah but I'm not sure if it's getting to that point where, okay, I don't believe it. And so I'm going to do research and actually figure it out. Or I don't believe it. And I'm just going to kind of retweet it or vaguely tell the next person I run into. And then that's just where it ends. Yeah. Like, I think at this point, we as individuals are becoming distrustful, but 
I'm not sure where we're going to go next. Yeah. It's weird though, because you know, that's sort of, there's like a nihilism in that type of yeah. view. So it's sort of how people stop believing scientists. Right. And right. they stop believing the media and uh, you know, I, it, 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 maybe it's a, a failure of the tech companies or regulators to solve a problem. And so we're just left not trusting anything. Right. And now we don't trust each other is really what it comes yeah. down to. We're like, uh, well, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, how are things going on at the uh, social breakdown? Just any any news you want to want to give a plug to the show? Oh yeah, thank listening? you. Um, so yeah, I run a podcast with my colleagues Omar and Ellen called the Social Breakdown. It's like a very it's aimed to be an educational source for introductory sociology. Um, so yeah, we're still releasing episodes every other Wednesday, and we have one coming up on we we just did one on monster artists, which I think is super fun. Mm-hmm. On like what do we do when the art we create is by monsters you know like this whole like bill mm. cosby and louis ck stuff so we're still yeah, doing yeah. a lot of like really interesting topics and going strong it <laughs> it's my top recommendation for anybody who wants to integrate podcasting into their social classes oh it's, thank uh, you yeah you guys do we're great really work and by the time people listen to this if you go back in the catalog a few weeks ago you probably will hear an interview with the social breakdown so oh, uh, yes. check out our back catalog for that mm-hmm. all right Pen Patum Simchai from the University of Hawaii. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. Special thank you to Pen Patum Simchai from the University of Hawaii. Her piece is Armchair Detectives and the Social Construction of Falsehoods, an Actor Network Approach in Information, Communication, and Society. And you can catch Penn's podcast, The Social Breakdown, on iTunes, Google Play, and all of the good platforms. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter, at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Liseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening.